According to a recent poll, 61% of people right now, today, it was out yesterday, 61% of people are excited about the Super Bowl 53. The other 39% are cowboy fans. Hey! Like, we care, right? <laughs> like, who cares who's playing today? Uh, with that being said, I've titled the, the message today, The Ring. Would you turn to that person next to you and say, The Ring? Come on, tell them, say, The Ring. Turn to that person on the other side and say, The Ring. Our key scripture is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. If you'll turn your Bibles on quickly, we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. The Apostle Paul here is speaking to the Corinthians, and this is what he says in verse 25. He says, Everyone who competes in the games go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Jesus, I pray that over the next couple moments that you would help help me articulate your word to your people. God, that you would give grace and mercy, that you give strength and power. And Lord God, it won't hurt my feelings one bit is as I'm trying to share your holy word with your people that you interrupt that and begin to give downloads to their minds, their hearts. Lord, I just want them to know you. I want them to know the goodness I want them to know your faithfulness. I want them to know a real relationship, not dead religion, but a real relationship with the living God. And God, I pray that, Lord God, that over the next couple moments, you'll help me articulate and be able to bring out and bring revelation to your holy word in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So in this passage of scripture, Paul is actually uh, referring to the Greek games. Uh, More than likely, it's not the Olympic games, um, but it's probably the Isthmian games, the Isthmian games. And these were happening every two years, and they were kind of connected to the Greek Olympic Games, uh, and because you know that, that was it was almost like a you know a, a, you know a, a mini bowl before the Super Bowl is kind of what it was, and and they happened every two years in Corinth. The city of Corinth would host these games, and so here Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and probably in this moment it is so exciting. Everybody's talking about you know the games, and it's happening in their city, and it's the talk of the town. I mean, they're texting about it. They're de- you know people are coming into the city. Hermes is coming. Hermes is entering the city. The Opelius is coming now. And all your greatest warriors that you, that you cheer for, you know, your, your team is coming in and you're standing there clapping and all this kind of stuff. People are betting on it. And this whole thing is happening much like our Super Bowl today. And what Paul does is he connects our Christian faith and our walk with God to this event. He connects it to this athletic engagement. And in those days, pretty much their athletic engagements were things like boxing and running and javelin throwing and some form of karate. And it just, it was that kind of engagement. And so Paul connects our Christian walk to that when he simply says, listen, they do all of this. They go into strict training so that they can get a crown that will not last. He says, and, and like that, we should be in strict training to get a, receive a crown that will last forever and ever and ever. And he kind of connects this whole uh, engagement with athletics and this moment with the Isthmian Games to our Christian walk, walking it out for Jesus and, and being a godly individual. And he talks about the crown that they'll get. And I think that I have some precedents here that if he'll connect it to the games and our Christian walk, to the games that were happening in his time, I think it's okay for me to connect it to our Super Bowl games that we have. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but there are, um, there are 32 teams in the NFL, 32 teams, and they play somewhere just around the 20 mark, just a little bit lower if they don't make it to the playoffs, 18 to 20 games a year. So 32 teams, 18 to 20 games that they play, and... Here's a couple stats. Each NFL team has a salary cap 
of $187 million that they can spend on their players. And it's estimated last year that they had just over 100 million people tune in to watch the Super Bowl. And they're estimated to have about the same range today. So a large number of the United States, which I think, what are we, 300 million or something like that? So a third of Americans will tune in to watch this game. Back in my day when I was younger, it was the most watched event in, in, of the year. It, more people watch that than any other event that happened. It was our Super Bowl, if you will. In fact, CBS this year is charging $5.25 million for a 30-second advertisement spot. $5.25 million. And then at the end of it all today, at the end of tonight, there will be a winner and a loser. And the winner, the winning team, will all get Super Bowl rings. It is the great prize. It is the Super Bowl ring that you got a ring, that you are on a Super Bowl winning team. And really, you could almost say that every team starts the year in pursuit of the ring. There are 32 teams and only one will triumph. Right now, today, there are 30 teams sitting at home going, oh, we could have been there, man, if only this, if only that. And the two teams that are playing today, you know, you've got the New England Patriots, who cares? And then you've got, <laughs> then you've got the Los Angeles Rams, who cheated, who cheated the Saints. So here we in this whole thing. And what happens is every year, the NFL gives 100, listen to me, 150 rings to the winning team that you won. Of that 150, of those 153 rings, 53, 150 rings, 53 of them are for the guys that are on the roster. The other 97 rings are for people who actually didn't play in the game, but assist the team in being who they are. Every bit of that moment, every bit of the effort and energy and the millions upon millions upon millions of dollars and the hundreds of thousands of hours spent just to get a ring just to get a ring. And once you got the ring, you forever have been a Super Bowl champion. It's an amazing experience. And the gift of proof of all your effort and all your energy and all of your sacrifice is that NFL ring. There are men who have played years and years and years and never got a ring. Give their life to it, given their physical body to it. Some of them are even paralyzed today and never got a ring. It is the trophy. It is the proof of all of your labor in this sport called football. I'd like to connect this ring biblically and to where we see the significance of a ring in Scripture. We'll look in our Old Testament and we'll look in our New Testament at two engagements about the significance of a ring when it comes to biblical studies. The first piece that I want to show you is found in Genesis chapter 41. If you'll get your Bibles, turn them to that place. And in this passage, we'll study Joseph and Pharaoh and this engagement. And if I could back up and just give you the storyline for sake of time, I won't read all the passages. But Joseph is a young man who begins at a young age having dreams, visions, if you will. And in his dreams, in his dreams, he sees all of his older brothers, all his mom and dad, everybody coming and bowing down to him, and that he literally is their leader. He's their leader. He's the boss of his family. And like a stupid junior high kid, he starts telling them. He starts telling his older brothers. And then these guys, some of them are already married and have kids. He starts telling them, yes, guess what, guys? I had a dream last night. And in my dream, you came and bowed down. I was your leader. The Bible says that his brothers began to hate him. He was his father's favorite child, the coat of many colors. He had a special coat just for him that signified his dad's special love for him. And, and every time they saw him in this coat, it made him more angry and hate him even more because God, their dad showed favoritism to him. 
And so one particular day, they're all out in the country with all of the herds watching after the herds. And if, if, if you've ever worked with animals like that, you've got to camp out out there and you've got to stay with them and, 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 you know, feed yourself out there. So he's bringing food to them as dad sent them. And when they see him a long time off, a long distance off, they decide they're going to kill him. But one brother keeps him from killing him. Instead, they throw him down into a well. Throw him down into a well because the other brother's planning on, I'll just get him to throw him in the well and then I'll come back and save him and we'll keep him from being killed. While he's down in the well and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with him, all of a sudden a slave trade group comes by and one of the brothers says, that's what we're going to do. We're going to make some money off this sucker. We're going to sell him. So they pull him out of the well and they sell him and he becomes a slave in that moment. They put him on the slave block. He's branded as a slave and Potiphar buys him who is a general in the Egyptian army. He's a very famous, very important person. And so Joseph here now, he's been, he's been kidnapped. He's been sold into slavery. He's probably around the age of 14 to 16 range maybe. And he's there and he begins to prosper in Potiphar's house. First they start him just cleaning up trash in the yard. Then they got him doing the gardening. And then as he began to get, you know, grow a little bit, start maturing, all of a sudden he gets past puberty. He starts 16, 17 years old. He starts getting abs and muscles. And one day he's out in the garden with his shirt off. And Potiphar's wife, because Potiphar's off on some campaign, sees him through the window. And her cougarism takes over. And she calls him into the house. Hey, Joseph, my husband is gone. And ladies have needs. And, and she grabs a hold to him to try to get him to make love to her. And the Bible says that Joseph stayed committed to God no matter what happened to him. Though his brothers mistreated him, though he was sold into slavery, though he's now lost his, author- though he's lost his authority and rights as a, as, a, as a Jewish man, he's now a slave. And here he is, he's still staying faithful to the living God. And he says no, and he pushes her away and runs off. That embarrasses her, makes her mad. When her husband comes home, she lies and says, he tried to rape me. Ah! And so her husband takes and puts him in jail which is a big deal that he didn't just kill him right there, which he would have had the ability to do because he was, a, he was a slave, a Jewish slave. He could have killed him, but he had grace on him and just put him in prison. So now this kid finds himself from the pit to Potiphar's to prison. Hadn't even done anything wrong. Talk about, talk about a terrible life. Talk about injustice. Talk about wrong. And said, still he doesn't turn on God. Still, he just, he continues to worship the Lord his God. He continues to walk in faith. He continues to hold the dreams in his heart that one day I'll be somebody of value. One day I'm going to do something great for the, for the God that I serve. While he's in prison, some of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, some of his workers get thrown into jail. And while they're in jail, they have dreams. And, and, and Joseph is able to interpret the dreams. So, well, let me tell you your dream. Oh, that means this. One of them gets killed and the other one lives and he's, becomes, he's the cupbearer of the king. And, and one day the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, has this dream, and it messes with him. It's a dream from God. And it messes with him. So he gets all of his magic people, and he gets all of his palm readers, and he says, tell me what the dream means. And they dance, and they can't tell the dream. They don't know what it means. So he's ticked off at them. And in that moment, the cupbearer speaks up and says, sir, there's a young Hebrew slave that's imprisoned in your jails. He interpreted a dream that I would live and be beside you. And the king's like, well, get him in here. Let's see. He gets him in there and he asks him, I, they tell me that you interpret dreams. He said, no, sir, I do not. But the God that I serve is the God who gives dreams and the God who can tell you what he's trying to say. If you'll give me a moment to ask him. And Joseph, 
goes before the Lord. The Lord gives him interpretation. He tells the king. And then let's pick up now in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 41 in the engagement that happens. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, as he interprets the dream, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. What? You got to understand, three hours ago, that dude was funky smelling. He's been in prison. You got to understand, ancient jails, there was no running water. There was no, mm, how can I say this delicately? There was no place to remove human waste. They lived in it. They ate in it. They were nasty. They have shaved this boy. They have washed this boy. They have put a robe on him so that he could even be presentable to be in front of the king of Egypt. He hears from God, tells him what God says, and immediately Pharaoh begins to promote him. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in a robe of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the entire, the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of, G- uh, in all of Egypt. So he goes from the pit to Potiphar's house, to prison, to the palace. Can I explain something to you? When that Pharaoh took that ring off, that ring, it it was significant because you got to understand in ancient time, the ring that you wore, it represented the tribe that you were a part of. The ring that you wore gave you the authority of the father or the boss above you. It gave you their same authority. They would give you their ring and they literally would trade goods sometimes with that ring. I don't have the money with me right now. I'm just going to put my stamp with the ring on it in that that wax or I'll put that stamp in that ink right there and that's my mark. you know that it is good because I am not a part of just myself. I'm a part of a whole tribe. It's not just me speaking from my own personal authority, but the authority of all those who I represent. The authority of who I am is based on all those that I'm a part of. Are you with me? Stay with me. And so he has this ring, and now all of a sudden, Joseph walks in, and if he says, that guy's dying, that man's dead. If he says, build a sphinx over there, they build a sphinx. If he says, put money over there, they put it over there. In one moment, this kid went from being destroyed destroyed, misappropriated, humiliated, treated like a slave to being second in charge of Egypt. His word and his bond was what everyone had to submit and surrender to all because he wore a ring. Not because he looked the part, not because he was, he was raised the part, not because of his education, because of the ring. The power and the authority of that ring. You need to understand something. The moment you became a Christian, God put his ring on your hand. The moment you said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, he put a robe around you. He treated you as sons and daughters. In that moment, you have the same authority that Jesus Christ had. Jesus said it like this. He said, you're a joint heir with me. All things over heaven and earth have been given to me, and they're all under my feet. And as joint heirs, as co-laborers with Christ, as, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, we have his same authority in our life. And it bothers me that Christians do not understand the ring that's on their finger. They don't understand that they can walk in the room and all that emotionalism and all that insecurity, they can say, leave in Jesus' name. And they don't understand that the ring gives them not only the right to stand for God, but gives them the authority to say to every evil force, you must let go, you must go, you cannot have that. And they have to obey, not because you're so powerful, but because the ring represents the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In this moment, 
this young Hebrew boy is put in position. And if you continue reading the storyline, he actually saves Israel from a famine, or the Israelis from a famine because of this position. Can I just say something to you? No matter what you've gone through, no matter how much you've been misappropriated, no matter how much you've been treated like a slave, no matter how you've been mishonored and mis, mis, uh, 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 you know, acted against you, if you belong to Jesus and you'll stay faithful to him, it may be a pit right now. It may be working for somebody who don't treat you right. It might be a prison that you can't hardly deal with day in and day out. But if you'll be faithful to God, he'll be faithful to you. And the promises and the dreams that he's put in your heart and the things that he says in his word about you, it will come to pass. And you will walk in the authority that you were deemed back when you came to Christ. That, that authority is on you. That authority was on Joseph even though he didn't have a ring. Why? Because he belonged to the living God. And that moment comes where, each, where, the, where the Pharaoh puts that ring on his, on his finger. And he is now second in charge of all of Egypt. And you've got to understand, Egypt in this moment is the definitive power nation in the world there's no other nation that can beat Egypt in this moment. They are the greatest nation in the world at this moment. And now Joseph, a little Hebrew boy who was mistreated by his brothers, falsely accused by, by a pervert, put in prison and mishandled there, is now second in charge of the greatest power in the world at the time. If you'll stay faithful to the living God, he'll stay faithful to you. If you'll just stay on the team, stay on team Jesus, and I promise you, he will bring about the dreams of your heart, the things that he's spoken over you. Let's look at the second piece, or the second moment that we see a ring really focused in on. And we find this in the New Testament in Luke chapter 15. And this is the story of the prodigal son. And if I could set the scene a little bit, and then we'll go to the passage with the ring. The prodigal son, and Jesus tells a story about a, a typical Hebrew family. He tells a story about two brothers good father. And this dad obviously has a fairly successful business. And he's got two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the Bible says that the younger son becomes dissatisfied with the life that he lives. And he wants to go out and party. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. He wants to go out and have a good time. And he, and he hates the regiment of being faithful to the home business. He hates the regiment of, 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 you know, being faithful to Jehovah God. And he wants to go find his own way. He wants to go out into wild lands, and he wants to go to Vegas, and he wants, to, he wants to, what happens in Vegas stays. He wants, he's been seeing the commercials. He wants that. So he goes to his dad, and obviously he's a snotty nose, a little punk, and he goes to his dad, and he says, I want what's mine. When you die, I get an inheritance, but I don't want to wait till then. I want you to sell off whatever you have to do, whatever portion of the business. I want you to sell it off and give me what's mine. Give me my percentage now. I want it now, I don't want to wait till you're old and craggedy, and I've already, I'm already old, and I can't party it up. I want to party now. And his father accommodates him to the anger of the older brother who now has to keep the family business going without that percentage of income. And so, so the father gives it to him. The Bible says that this, Jesus in this story says this young man goes off and he goes crazy. I mean, he's having sex with everything he can have sex with. He's partying. He's, I mean, he's at all the clubs. I mean, he's just making it rain everywhere he goes. He's just making it happen. He is living the wicked dream. And he finds himself out of money. So he sells his two hump camel. Take it, process it, process it. There you go. Okay. That, that would be his car. His anyway, and so he sells his car. And then next thing you know, he finds himself living under a bridge. He's got no money, no friends anymore. Oh, he had friends when he had money. Had friends when he was paying for a round of drinks for everybody. But now he's out. He's out of money. He's been living for months like this. It's wicked. It's perverted. He's lived it up. But now he finds himself homeless and penniless. And so while he's living under the bridge, he starts dumpster diving eating the trash, the food. In the biblical text, it actually says that he, he started working for a pig farm, 
And the only way they fed him was letting him eat the food that they gave the pigs. And one day as he's living, a good Hebrew boy doesn't work with pigs. Just want to point that out. And so he wakes up one day, comes to his senses, the Bible says, and goes, what am I doing? Even the employees at my daddy's house are being treated better than I'm being treated. I will humble myself and I will go home and I'll ask my dad if he'll just let me be a hired servant. If I can just work in some type of field. I know I can't ever be a son. I gave up sonship. I know, I, I know he won't let me be a son. But if I could just, if I could just go home, at least it's better than where I'm living. And we'll pick up there in verse, chapter 15, verse 22. So as the young man starts home, verse 22, but the father said to the servant, quick, bring the best robe, because he sees him from a distance, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He, he puts a ring on his finger. So what happens if you study the passage, he, every day that dad is sitting at the end of that driveway. Will my boy come home today? Will my boy come home today? Will my boy come home today? Oh, Father God, please let him come home today. Let him come home today. And the boy just kept living in sin, living in sin, living in sin. But the Bible says that on the day that that young man decided to come home, that the father sees him at a distance, and he runs to him. He embraces him, and he takes him. He brings him back into the house. He says, get a ring. Get a ring. Put it on his finger. What does he do? He reestablishes his authority. He reestablishes him as a son. He puts him right back in the position that he was created to live in, and that is a son of the living God. Are you with me? Say yes. No matter how far away you go from God, if you'll turn your heart back towards him, if you'll come back to him, he waits at the end of the driveway. Is he coming back? Is he coming back? Is this going to be the day? Will she give her heart back towards me? See, here's the deal. It is not proper for the father to chase after the rebellious son. Because the father has provided a way and a place of safety. What has to happen is the rebellious son, the rebellious daughter has to turn their heart back. And as soon as they turn their heart back, the father doesn't go, get out of my house. Tim slap you upside your head. Where you been? Your stepdad may have treated you like that. Your natural mom and dad may have treated you like that. But that's not who father God is. The Bible says he waits. And he waits. And he he goes, run. My son is home. He's home. Put a ring on his finger. I want him to have the authority of who we are right now. Bring him back into the tribe. Bring him back on the team. Put a ring on his finger. I want him to know who he is because he forgot it for a moment. My question is, what happened to the original ring he had? He was a son before he took off. There was a ring that he was of the family. He's of the Smith family. Smith family. You mess with me, you mess with all the Smiths. Don't mess with me. What happened to that ring? I'll tell you what happened to that ring. He sold that ring off. He got rid of that ring as he was chasing the wickedness of this world. He, he lost that ring chasing after the wickedness of this world. But the moment he turned back to Father God, Father God put that ring right back on him. Put that ring back on that finger and reinstated him, her, as a son, a daughter of the Most High God. you got to stop running away and start running to him. You keep saying, if only I can get it straight, I can go back to God. God's saying, look, I'm waiting at the end of the driveway. Here's my broken heart spot. It was the oldest brother's job to chase after the younger brother. Say, man, dad needs you. We need you. And so it ticks me off that people who call themselves Christians will never reach out to hurting people. It's the same rebelliousness that we find in this passage. And when Jesus tells the story, he's as aggravated and agitated and broken over it. And he tells the story to the place, if you'll continue reading, that the older brother comes in and sees that the younger brother has been reinstated and loses his mind. Like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. The reason why is because he didn't love 
what the father loved. And I find so many Christians, older brothers, who their, their faith is secure, their salvation is secure, their love for God is secure. But they don't want any, anything else to get in that space. And they feel like, well, if you've been wrong, if you've done wrong, you deserve what you get. And that's a propelling, uh, uh, a very common co- concept that I find in people who've been a Christian for, for a amount of time. And they forget about the brokenness that the father goes through that one of his sons have been lost. One of his daughters has been lost. He puts the ring on his finger. He reinstates him. And let me help you understand something. The moment that that young man took that ring, that finger, that ring off, the moment that young man chased after what he wanted in his life, he moved into what I call individualism. Individualism. I can do it on my own. I don't need to be a part of the family. I don't need to be on the team. Can I explain something to you right now? The Los Angeles Rams are in the Super Bowl for one reason only. Not because they've got the best quarterback, the best running back, the best blocking back, the sexiest-looking coach. None of those factors are the reason they're in the Super Bowl. They're in the Super Bowl because a young 32-year-old, 33-year-old coach took a bunch of no-namers, and he taught them how to play as a team. No superheroes, just a bunch of dudes doing their best, killing themselves for the team. What happens in this young man's life, he didn't want to be on the team anymore. He wanted to have his time. It was individualism. Can I explain something? The moment you become a Christian, not only are you, not only do you come to Christ and you're part of the family of, not only you're part of the, the, the universal family of God, but you're also part of a local church. You become part of a family. Get on a team. And that's why it's ignorant for you to think, I can do this on my own. You were made to be on a team. You don't work if you're not on a team. You don't work if you're not in a family unit. How well did it work for him out there by himself trying to figure out life? We're supposed to be on a team. We're supposed to be a part of a family unit. That's how God made us. Otherwise, he'd have made us all individuals, and we wouldn't even know each other. We'd just have our little spots on the planet, and we wouldn't have any interaction. He made us, and there's this driving force inside of us to get married, to have kids, to have friends, to do life with. There's this driving thing inside of a believer to have other believers around us to help us grow, to watch our back, to watch out for each other. And when you try to do this on your own, that's why you end up broken. That's why you end up hurt. That's why you end up scarred. When you put that ring on, you become a part of our family. And anybody attacks you, attacks us. Any demon that comes after you is coming after us. So you got the power and the authority, not only of Father God, but of the family. And that's a broken spot not to know that. Puts the ring on his finger. Galatians says it like this, and you need to understand this, that individualism leads to slavery. It leads to slavery. You can't be enslaved if they got to fight your whole family. But when you're out there by yourself, the enemy enslaves you into all your little sin habits. Look what Galatians says talking about this, reference this concept. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 through 7. Galatians 4, 3 through 7. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. You do understand that we have been grafted in. Unless you're a full-blooded Jew, we, most of us are Gentiles that have come to salvation by grace, and we've been grafted into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And since you are a son and a daughter, God has also made you an heir. All the benefits of kingdom business is accessible by heirs, but not by slaves. See, because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have full benefits of the kingdom of God. 
You have full authority and rights. You can say to sickness, let go in Jesus' name. You can say to mental anguish, I will not surrender to you. Let go of me in Jesus' name. You can say, you know what? I will not be poverty. I'm going to figure this out. God's going to show me how to get past some of the dumb things that I do day in and day out. I don't have to be addicted to drugs. I don't have to. You take authority over that thing because why? I'm a son of the most high God. You should walk in a room instead of hearing people laugh and think, oh, I wonder if they're laughing. You should walk in the room and say, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the living God. You should walk in your authority and stop acting like slaves. Stop being pushed around and told what to do by the things of darkness and the powers of wickedness. And you should stand against them. You should be able to speak life when everyone else is cursing. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This is the broken spot that you and I don't understand. I want to give you two takeaways. Write these down. Two takeaways for today's teaching. Two takeaways. Number one, you got to get on the team. You got to get on the team. Mark chapter 8, verse 36, says it like this. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? I just want to help you understand something. Each and every one of you will die. You have an appointment with death. And the Bible says, and then the judgment. Then the judgment. I meet people all the time, big thinkers, big education, atheists, agnostic, don't believe in the living God. There is no God. Don't believe. That's, a, that's for simple-minded people who can't actually educate themselves. And I always tell them, yeah, well, you're still going to die. And then what? Well, then nothing. Really? So wait a minute, you have enough faith to believe that two molecules bounced into each other out in the atmosphere billions of years ago and created all of the intelligent design that we see. But yet you can't believe that there was a great creator that created all that we see who lost us to sin, sent his son to give us back relationship with him. And then we'll stand before him and give an account of whether or not we rejected or accepted his love gift called Jesus Christ. Sound like you got more faith than I got faith. Because at the end of the day, I would rather have said, you know what? Maybe if I'm wrong, at least I, get, I lived a decent life. But on your hand, if you're wrong, for eternity you'll spend in darkness and damnation. And the Bible says that Satan and the fallen angels were the reason that hell was designed. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we destined ourselves to that type of place. Upon repentance and coming, giving ourselves to Jesus, we are liberated from eternal darkness and death. Why would you not get on the team? Jesus died for you. He loves you. Why would you not get on the team? You've got to understand something. For those of us that are on the team, there's a reward. There's a reward for those of us that are on the team. Actually... Some of you may not know this, but uh, I, I wanted to wait and put it on. I actually have a, uh, a Super Bowl ring. You know that? You see, it's a 1988 Cowboys championship. Yeah. Um, for when I played for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Y'all don't remember me from those years? <laughs> Why you don't remember me? Yeah, I didn't play for the Cowboys. I wanted to. But in fact, you know where I got this ring? I bought it online. Cost me $15. I didn't earn it. I wasn't on the team. I never got a ring. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians. All they did was buy a ring. 
they never got on the team. Man, it's a fake ring. <laughs> you know, the other day. <laughs> anyway, we'll just leave that alone. <laughs> the ring. So I tell you, get on the team. Get on the team and stay on the team. Get on the team and stay on the team. I know sometimes being a Christian can get difficult, especially when you're in the spiritual family. Somebody offends you. Somebody took your parking spot. Doggone it. Those kids' ministries back there, they let your little baby girl have poop in her diaper for a full hour and a half. How dare them? That's it. Quit the church. Quit Jesus. All y'all are fools. I'm gone. And sometimes we quit the team because sometimes it can be hard on a team. I mean, you got your, your own teammates here trying to kill you during practice. Yeah, you know, you, you get mad at each other. You get these frustrating things happen. But I tell you something, if you quit the team, you don't get the ring. Some of you know, last year, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles were the, were the Super Bowl champions. First one they ever had in the history of their team. Philadelphia Eagles. None of us care because we're from Dallas. But Pastor Lance, our worship pastor, he's, he's, <laughs> he, he's from Pennsylvania. So, I mean, it was the joy of his life. He can't stop talking about it. Like, like it's like this thing. He keeps saying, well, when's the last time Cowboys won one? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and then I pull out my ring. He's like, you bought that. I was like, still. <laughs> but on the, on the Philadelphia Eagles team, was a guy, backup quarterback by the name of Nick Foles. Anybody heard his name? Nick Foles? Yeah. Nick Foles, right out of college, was drafted to the Philadelphia Eagles, played two years as a backup quarterback, never gotten any playing time, kept being promised playing time, kept jacking him around, kept messing him over. So then they traded him. I think they traded him to the Chiefs. Uh, who wants to play for them? And he kept trading them to different places like that, right? And so in this interview, Nick talks about how he, he was like he was done. He was tired of being bullied. He was tired of being pushed around. If this is what it's about, he didn't want to play anymore. He never got his chance. Never, no one stuck, stuck it out with him. He kept getting passed over for people that weren't as good as he was. He just was frustrated, but he's a man of faith. He loves Jesus. And he said, and he said this. He said, I was praying, and God told me, stay faithful. Don't quit. Don't quit. Those quitters never get a Super Bowl ring. So he said, okay, I won't quit. Uh, the, the Eagles picked him back up, and he was second, third-string quarterback for the Eagles. And last year, in the middle of the season, towards, excuse me, towards the end of the season, the, uh, their big-money quarterback, Philadelphia Eagles' big-money quarterback, got injured, couldn't play. And they put Nick Foles in, the backup quarterback. He outplayed the starting, starting quarterback. Not only did he take him to the playoffs, he got him through the playoffs to the Super Bowl, and that backup quarterback, listen to me, won the NFL's Super Bowl championship last year. And I'm going to tell you, up until this point, they were barely paying him a million dollars as a backup quarterback. As they got to the Super Bowl and they realized how far this guy took him, they went ahead and paid him $5 million and did a little new quick contract so they didn't quit on him and go somewhere else. This year, two, three days ago, they announced that they just signed a new contract with Nick for $20 million. Let me tell you something. No other quarterback in the history of their team has ever gotten them a Super Bowl ring. But the backup quarterback who refused to quit, who refused to get angry, who refused to be bitter because what happened to him? Because he was in the pit, and then he was in misappropriated, and then he was pushed around, and he refused to quit. And as a result, he's the first, and at this point probably only that will ever happen, a quarterback to get the Philadelphia Eagles to a Super Bowl. He's got a ring, and everyone else does because one man decided he wasn't going to quit. I want you to know something. Get on the team and stay on the team no matter what happens. Get on the team. Here's the second thing I would teach you, and as we go kind of get to this last piece right here, here's the second piece that I'll tell you, and that is the second big takeaway is this. Put it on the screen for him. Number two, and that is do your part 
to help the team win. Do your part to help the team win. Every one of us have a part. Every one of us have a part. Mark chapter 8, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It doesn't matter how good the quarterback is or isn't. It matters, does every part do its part? You can have a great quarterback, great running back. If you don't have a good line, have a great offense, but you have a good defense. Have all these great little pieces, but every part has to do its part. Here at Church on the Hill, we need you to do your part. God's called you. He's anointed you. You have giftings, and we need you. In fact, I beg you as your, as your senior pastor, get in the grow track with us tonight at 6 p.m. You don't care about who's playing anyway. Come to the grow track. I'm teaching on how to connect in the church, how to, how to become a member, how to be your part. Stop sitting on the sidelines watching us. Get in the game with us. Get on the team with us. Stop being a spectator. Help us change the world. We want to make it hard to go to hell from DFW, and we need each and every part doing its part. Connect in the grow track. Say, well, I can't come tonight. I already planned on some chips and dips and some friends. Then come next, next Sunday night, 6 p.m. We got kids ministry prepared for you. We'll meet over here in the, in the uh, auditorium, and I'll teach you and grow you and help you get to doing your part in the body of Christ. And each and every piece is important. In fact, I need you to understand this. Every part matters. In fact, I prepared a little video I want, I want to play for you just to make the, make the point. Here's a little NFL video to let, help you see every part matters. Play that for him. Listen to me. That dude with the water, that boy with the water was serious. Tell you right now, he had his position down. Like, time out. Tell you right now, your position may not be the quarterback, and you may not be the top running back, but can I tell you something? That little dude, guess what he got? At the end of it, he got a ring. He got a ring because he's on the team. He got a ring. That little person helping with your little kneecap. Oh, yeah, your knee's gone, baby. You out. He got a ring. A couple years back, I was playing golf with some friends, and there was a third-party friend of a friend. I didn't know this guy that well. And, uh, and the whole time we were playing golf, he had this big old honking Super Bowl ring. He called the little girl with the, with the golf cart, you know, with the, with the food. Hey, come over here. He'd go to hit the ball. And so I finally, I gave in. If somebody does that to me, I never, I like, I will pretend like I don't even see it. Finally, I was like, dude, what's that ring for? He goes, oh, that's a Super Bowl ring. He told me the team. I was like, dude, you play football? He goes, no, never a day in my life. I'm a, I'm a chiropractor. I was like, what are you doing with a Super Bowl ring? He goes, oh, I was the chiropractor for that team. He said, I didn't get to go to all the games, but the games that, I, that they let me be at, you know, sometimes I couldn't travel with them and stuff. He goes, I'm the one in the back, you know, adjusting them between, between plays sometimes, between halves and things like that. He goes, I'm on the team. He said, and as a result, I got a ring. Listen, you, your, part, your part may not be up on the stage. I don't know why everybody thinks that's the part that matters. The part that matters is your part. 
your part, your part, your part, your, my part. A sweet lady told us a couple weeks ago. She said, you know what? I've been passing this church by, and I think I need to go back and serve God, but I've had some bad experiences with church. She said, but there's this little dude out in your parking lot, and every time I drive by, he waves. <laughs> Got his little vest on, parking cars. And she's like, <laughs> wave back at him like, that guy's excited. And she said, after a couple weeks, I just couldn't take it anymore. She goes, they got something going at that church. I'm going to go get me some. She said, I came in here. Y'all started worshiping. I started weeping all because the guy in the parking lot doing his part. And let me tell you what he gets. He gets the same ring I get. He gets the same ring you get when you do your part. Don't diminish your part. Book of Romans chapter 12 List out the parts of the body, and he starts giving out these practical things. He says, those who lead, let them lead. Those who your gifting is to serve, serve. Serve with all diligence. Those who your gift to the body of believers, on the team, your gift is financial giving. Get that money going, baby, and get that money forward. Those who are called to administrate, let you administrate, help us get organized. That's the body of Christ. Can I tell you something? We don't win as individuals. We win as a team. The ring means that you're on a team. Ring means that there's a group of people who you represent and represent you. Two takeaways. Get on the team. Number two, do your part on the team. Jesus is calling some of you home. You've been away from him. It's time to come back. Would you stand with me all across the room? I want to pray with you. I'm trying to be honorable to your time. Those of you that brought babies and family members, they thought, my God, we didn't know we were going to this church today. <laughs> This is how we are every week, so there you go. Just be ourselves. I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. We have you do that, bow your heads, not because we send little elves around to rob your purse. We do that just so you can have a moment of concentration. I just want you to be able to concentrate. I want you to talk to your God. I want you to have an engagement with the living God. Either he's real or not. Even I, either I'm the greatest shyster in the world or I just had a real experience with the living God, and I want you to have it too. You get to make your choice here today after being with us. But today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, the living God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. It's not an accident that you're here today. And I would say to you that are Christian, that serve the living God, have you forgotten about the authority that's yours? Do you put the ring in your pocket? Do you not know that you are joint heirs with Christ? Do you not know that you're not a slave anymore? Why do you think I made him sing that song? I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. The reason why I made him sing that today, because I want you to know, stop acting like a slave. You're a son, you're a daughter. You go to work tomorrow as a daughter, as a son of the living God. You stop letting the enemy push you around in your mind, in your heart. Stop being insecure. Stop letting sin take, have power over you. It's time to stand up and be who you are. That ring, when you made a profession of your faith and asked Jesus into your life, put a robe around you, put that ring on your finger. You're his son, you're his daughter. And when he saw sickness, he prayed for it and it went away. You're his son, you're his daughter, you have the same authority. And the demonic forces had that man full of demons. Jesus told him, get out of him. A legion of demons came out of that man. You have that authority. You have that power. Stop acting like a slave and start being a son. Start being a daughter. 
today, if you're a believer in this place, and you say, Pastor, that's me, man. I haven't really been, I've been acting like I'm on a team very well. Maybe you've been caught up in your individualism, just trying to make the bills. You forgot that as a believer, you're on a team, and we need you. Maybe you've been back into that old slave mentality, and that sin has been dominating your life. Today's a day to ask God to forgive you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, will not you take a moment and say, Lord, forgive me. If you've been acting like a slave, if you've not walked in the authority that you're supposed to walk in, if you've not understood who you are in Christ, now's the time to accept the power that came with that ring. Father, I pray right now for each and every one of us. Lord, I, I repent to you for being ashamed of you at times. I repent, oh God, for allowing my family to go through things because I wouldn't stand up as the head of my home. Father, I pray for dads in this room, Lord God, who let let the wife be the spiritual leader. Lord, I pray against that right now. I pray that they would rise up. That wife has been believing for that man to come on, lead our family, pray over the food, read the Bible, show us how to go. I pray against that fear, that intimidation, that slave mentality. Somebody else has to show them how to do it instead of them knowing who they are as sons. Lord, I pray for the ladies in this room, Lord God, who because they were hurt, because they were thrown into the pit because they were misappropriated, because they were treated with improper treatment, who've taken on the concept of a slave, have bitterness in their heart, angry, want to know why you did that, God. Lord, I pray for freedom right now as they just repent and say, you know, my God is good no matter what went through in my life. And to understand that all of those things work together for the good so that they can stand there, the ring on their finger, and proclaim the goodness of God to our generation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from God, if you're like that prodigal, you've been living your life for yourself. But as I was speaking, you felt God tug at your heart and say, I'm waiting. I'm at the end of the driveway crying out that you would come home. Friend, this is your moment. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but I, man, I just walked away from God. Stuff happened, just life. I'm separated, I'm divorced. I don't want to be like that anymore. Friend, I got good news for you. He's standing at the end of the driveway calling you home. Maybe you say, Pastor, I've never been a Christian. I'm, I, I, I sense what you're saying is true. I don't know a whole lot about Jesus, about God. I'm not really sure. But at the same time, I feel truth here in that. I don't want to make a decision. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to ask him into my life. I want to be a son of the living God. It's great. Maybe you'd say, well, what do I do? Well, the Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You say, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Jesus did all the hard work 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross. He paid for every one of the sins that you'll ever commit. I tell people like this, it's like he paid it forward, and there's an account with your name on it. Every sin you'll ever commit has already been prepaid for. He already paid for it. He said, that's awesome. How do I access that account? Well, just like we said, Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. By doing that, you're becoming a follower, making him the Lord of your life. And in that, he'll teach you and train you. You'll grow in the things of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if I'm speaking to you, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God. I want to come home. Or, Pastor, I've never really been a Christian. I said a little prayer when I was a kid, but I didn't know what I was doing. But today, I want Jesus in my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, would you admit that to yourself? Would you admit it to me? Would you let me pray for you? I'm not going to call you forward. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to highlight you. Hey, everybody, look at Bill. 
this is a deep private decision that you need to make and I want to give you the space to do that but at the same time you got to own it you got to own it man so I'd like to pray with you if that's you no one's looking around we're going to pray right where you stand but I need you to acknowledge that to yourself to me and to heaven pastor I'm away from God today I want to become a Christian today I want to come back home if that's you you want me to pray with you would you just slip your hand up say pastor that's me I admit that yeah thank you thanks God bless you sir thank you sir thank you sir for your honesty yes sir appreciate it yes sir thanks for being honest you can put it back down it's good thank you yes sir anybody else pastor pray for me it's time I'll give you just a couple of seconds I know you need to mull over the, the decision I don't want to make it a quick decision for you but okay yes ma'am thank you anybody else pray for me pastor it's time I'm ready to serve God I want to be included in that I want, I want you to pray for me anyone else give you a couple more seconds thank you sir okay okay thanks yeah I see it thank you sweet love amen you can put your hands down I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. There's nothing magical about the words. What's supernatural is that you ask God into your life. I think, I think the words are just, it, I picture it like this. If I was at a party and uh, my best friend Jesus was sitting at a table and then I got to talking to you and said, oh my God, you need to meet Jesus. And I brought you over and I introduced you. That's kind of what this prayer is. I'm introducing you. You two are becoming best friends in this moment right here through a prayer of repentance. That's how I pictured it in my mind. So would you let me lead you in a prayer? In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud with those who lifted their hands. Those who lifted your hand, would you mean it with all of your heart? Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I recognize I've sinned against heaven. And I ask you now to forgive me. I accept what you did on the cross for me. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who prayed that prayer, who meant it from the depths of their heart. I pray right now they would feel the peace. The peace that comes when I'm not in, I'm not in, in, in a fight anymore with God. Lord, the, the, I pray they feel the joy. The joy knowing that it's, it's done. I, you know, if I died today in a car accident, I, I would be immediately embraced in heaven. That though I may not be perfect from this point forward, I am a son. I am a daughter. Though I may make mistakes, I may go back to some old sin, and I'll repent, and I'll ask God to help me, and he will because I'm a son now. Father, I pray that they would sense the ring has been put on their finger today. Your word says that all the angels rejoice when one sinner turns and comes back to God. And Lord, I thank you there's a party going on in heaven because just like it happened with the prodigal son, and they all begin to celebrate. Why? Because that which was lost has come home and is now found. May they feel the authority that spiritual ring, if you will, that's now on their finger, that they're right with you and they can walk therein. And Jesus, I ask you now that your love would win out over every lie. When they get home today, tomorrow morning, late tonight, oh, you didn't mean that. Ah, yes, oh, silly. That your love would win out. And they would hear that whisper from the Holy Spirit that now abides in them. No, I'm here. I'm with you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And Lord, until... That whisper becomes louder than all the lies of the past. Lord, I pray now their protection, your surrounding in Jesus' name.